Okay, we are in Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, continuing on the chronological life of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he began to go around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Okay, so this is the beginning of the second uh, uh, Galilean tour, where this is the second of three tours through Galilee. And, and uh, so th- this is, the, this is uh, he's about a year and a half or so, I guess. I'm not exactly sure, but I, I could look it up. But about a year and a half into his total ministry time. But this is his second Galilean tour. Um, and it says that he began to go around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So, Where he went around, he didn't just do healings, he was always proclaiming and he was preaching. And the twelve were with him. So this man was constantly working and healing and doing things. And and if you look at at religious leaders, I mean, you don't always find religious leaders out doing just so much work. This guy was there doing so much work of the kingdom and touching and moving in people's lives. He was very active. And this is some of the things that, that, that we have to be active in in ministry. And then it, Luke is, is particularly different about all the Gospels where he spends a lot of time focusing in on Jesus' interaction with women. And this is one portion in particular that's not mentioned in any of the other Gospels. And it says not just were his, his twelve with him, but it says some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. So now he's outlining women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. So there were some women healed of evil spirits, some people, some women healed of sicknesses, and some probably healed of both. And we had just finished last time where Jesus had spoken about a woman who had anointed uh, 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 Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and, and put this ointment on him, and how it was a Latin tradition that that was Mary Magdalene. One of the things that, that argues against that tradition being accurate is right here in that Now Luke introduces Mary Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. One would think that if he was, if in the former chapter it had been Mary Magdalene who had done that, that he would have introduced her at that point, or that he would have made reference to the work that she had done just in the previous portion in which he he had written, because he is writing, as he says in the beginning of his Gospel, he is writing chronologically. So, this was, uh, 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 so he introduces Mary Magdalene. He says, Jesus had cast out from her seven demons. So, just think of how much more relaxed her life now was without these seven demons in her. And then there was Joanna, he says, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. So Herod, this is King Herod, Herod's steward. So Herod's main guy who's around him, like a chief of staff. This guy's, this chief of staff's wife, her name was Joanna. She would hang out with Jesus. She had become a convert to Jesus. 
she was obviously a very wealthy woman. And then he mentions Susanna. He gives no explanation of Susanna. Of Susanna. He says, for Joanna, he mentions that this is uh, uh, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. For Mary Magdalene, he says, this is Mary. Her other name is Magdalene, and she was the one who, who, who had had seven demons. But for Susanna, he, there's no introduction. So one would only <coughs> assume by that that the writers to whom he is writing to know Susanna, because he said that he was writing this to the most excellent Theophilus. So he was writing this to an individual who must know who Susanna is because he does, she doesn't need any introduction here. She was probably a woman of real influence. And then it says, and there were many others, not just others, there were many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So Jesus' support and the, the twelve disciples with him, they weren't out working. They didn't have a tent ministry. Early on, uh, we know that several of them had been fishermen, but they had given that up totally. We had covered that to follow Jesus. Well, they still had to eat. Well, couldn't just Jesus, you know, create food for them like he had done? Well, no, those were miraculous occasions. In general, they had to go and buy and eat. And, and even there were times where the disciples would say, Philip would say, you know, we've got to go into the town, we have to get food. Jesus was sitting by the well in Samaria, and the disciples went into town to get some food. So they had to buy food. Well, where did their support come from? Right here. It's listed right here. There were many, wilf- many women, many of them wealthy women, that were supporting the ministry out of their private means. They had to support 13 men. And these weren't just a bunch of old men like you see in pictures. These were young guys, like your age. This was the age of the apostles when they were following Jesus. They were around your age. We know that Peter was married, but the vast majority of them were not married. So they were young people. And you know, young people eat a lot. Right? You get, your, your appetites are larger. And... and uh, um, you know, you had to feed them well, or else they might, you know, give up this ministry and go back where they could eat well. And so they had to be well fed. But there were women that supported these ministries. I sat on the board of a ministry, and occasionally we would get these huge donations from women when they would pass away. Uh, uh, because, you, you know, they had been married, the, the women often outlived their husbands, and when the women died, I mean, they would leave these huge amounts of money to the ministries. I mean, it was really nice to see the giving hearts of of women, in particular in the body of Christ. They were the ones that were underwriting this. You want to see what is the role of women? They underwrote the ministry. The ministry of Jesus. They underwrote the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the apostles. There was no church where they had gatherings yet where they could take up donations. That didn't come until the book of Acts and into the book of Acts. Here, there were people that were underwriting this. Predominantly, women were paying for this. The sensitivity of women far exceeds generally the sensitivity of men in these sort of things. Women often see the needs of people far more readily than do men. And they want to make sure that those needs are met. I mean, they're, they're not, people don't leave our home without lots of food. I don't even think of it. I'm just saying, Bye! But Shereen's like, let me make a plate for you so that you can eat well tonight. I'm thinking, oh, they'll find something to eat. But no, she, she cares about this sort of thing. She, wants, she sees these needs that I don't even think about in people. 
And it's the same in the children. I figure, you know, the children will eat. And I saw them on Skype when Shireen was in Israel. They were saying, you left us here with this cheapskate. There's no food in this house. There's nothing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Just look in the cabinets. It's full of food. And so I figured they could just fend for themselves. But they're just so used to their mother taking care of them because she sees their needs so much. Women do this. They see the needs. Now, now it's interesting that Mary had seven demons cast out of her. And I remember thinking about this when it, um, you know, where's all these demons? I mean, you read about all these demon-possessed people. And one day I was driving down the highway, and, and I was newly married, and Shireen was in the car. And I was thinking, I don't get this demon stuff. There's all these demons talked about in the Bible, and, and uh, I don't see demon-possessed people. And so then the road, as we're driving down the highway because of construction, went down to one lane. And, and uh, as we're driving down the highway, it goes down to one lane, and the speed limit, there were these signs that said like 40 or 45, so you really had to slow down. And, and especially in work zones, if you speed, you can get in big trouble. So I usually try to go, I usually try to go the speed limit, but particularly sensitive to that in, in the work zones. And apparently this truck comes, so he comes like about six inches, this 18-wheeler this from my back bumper. And this is just when I'm thinking, where are these demon-possessed people? I don't see them. And he lays on the horn, and I look back, and this guy, he's got his fist hanging out the window, just livid that he has to go the speed limit in this, and it's not like I could get to the side. I couldn't go anywhere. There were these barriers on each side. There, was, there were only about, only about 12 inches on each side of me. And this went on for miles, and he is so angry. And God just spoke to my heart, you want to see where the demon-possessed people are? They're all around you. They're all around you. And so I became more sensitive to this sort of thing. Jesus cast out seven demons from this one woman. You start doubting these things, and you ask God to show you. You'll start meeting some demon-possessed people, and I've had many experiences with them thereafter, where they could, they were, they could clearly see in me things that nobody else could see, that were prophetic. They could see things in me of who I was, that, and they would say it. And they, it, it was very, very strange dealings with these sort of folks. But um, this is clear. Jesus said, the scriptures say that he cast out seven demons from this woman. Okay, now let's, let's turn over to uh, Mark chapter 3. This is probably one of the most profound sections within the Bible. And in Mark chapter 3, this is talked about in two Gospels. This next thing that happens during the Galilean tour, the second Galilean tour, is in Mark chapter 3. It mentions this, but it's, it's, it's much more extensive in Matthew chapter 12. But we're going to just pick out a couple of things in Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3... Reading from verse 20, it says, And he came home, and the crowd gathered again, Mark 3.20, to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. So this is a big crowd. I mean, you've got so many people around you, you can't even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Okay, so, so there are a couple of things that are mentioned here. Specifically, one of them is that his own family and friends 
saw Jesus changed his behavior to such an extent that they thought he had lost his senses and they wanted to take custody of him and just lead him away. So something unusual had happened to Jesus in this place where there was a real change, where all of a sudden his friends and his family think he's just gone too far, he's just lost it. We've got to protect him now. And the scribes had come down from Jerusalem So, remember, Jerusalem is south of the Galilee, but because Jerusalem is on a mountain, the way Jews always wrote, and still write today, you come down from Jerusalem. Even if you're heading north, as far as the map goes, you come down from this mountain on Jerusalem. And not that Jerusalem is the highest mountain around, either. It's just that that this is the terminology that's constantly used by Jewish writers. So, it's, it's the terminology of the day. They had come down. So this was initiated by scribes from Jerusalem. Now remember, this is a three-day journey by walking up to the Galilee. So here they are. They've come from Jerusalem. They go on this three-day journey. They had finished their, their, their analysis. They had finished their interrogation. And here's what they said. Beelzebul. He is possessed by the demon Beelzebul. Okay, now let's look over to Matthew chapter 12. Again, this is probably the most important chapter, the most important portion within the study in the life of Jesus where this huge change occurs. This is in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 22. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and said, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But the Pharisees heard this and they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebul cast out demons... By whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either either in this age or in the age to come. And then he starts to go on and and, and we'll we'll look at that. But let let me set the stage for you here. There are three Messianic miracles that the Jews themselves, in their writings, which you can read today in the Talmudic writings, that they taught that only Messiah could do. What was the first one that we already covered? Only Messiah could do it. Cure a leper, particularly a Jewish leper. Only Messiah would be able to heal a Jewish leper. There are chapters, chapters, in the book of Leviticus on how to deal with a Jewish leper. Never had a Jewish leper been healed. They said then only Messiah would be able to heal a Jewish leper. That was in their tradition. He came, he healed a Jewish leper. He said, go to the priest and have him check you out because the healing is not complete until it's confirmed by the priests. This, that was a profound healing. Only 
the Messiah would be able to do that, they taught. The second thing that only the Messiah would be able to do was to heal, cast out a demon from a man who was mute or dumb, man who couldn't speak. To have exorcism was not special in those days. Jesus even says down in verse, in verse 27, he says, by whom do your sons cast them out? So in other words, he's saying, you yourselves cast out demons. Exorcism was not special in those days. It, and it is prescribed the way you carry out exorcism. You can read it in the Talmudic writings today. We have those. This is not guesswork. We have them. It's the same Talmud that the Jews read today. Lots of those portions had already been written in the first century. They were reading the same things you can read today. So the way exorcism is done is that you identify this person who has a demon and you ask them by their mouth. You say, what is your name? And then the demon speaking through the individual identifies his name. The demon identifies his name, and then by their name you cast out that demon. That is the prescribed Jewish way of exorcism. Generally, Jesus never did that. Generally, he just cast them out. He had no interactions with them. They would start saying, oh, you're the Son of God. He says, get out. You know, boom, they were gone. Later on, in this, in this, we will read that he goes into the, uh, uh, the area of the Gadareans, and he casts out a demon from a man by identifying him using these strict Jewish protocol. He identifies the demon, he says, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many, and in that name he casts out that demon. Jesus didn't generally use the Jewish prescription, he generally just cast them out, but there is one case that he casts them out using that name, using that prescription. But the Jews said only Messiah could cast out a demon from someone who is mute because they couldn't speak, the name of the demon couldn't speak. So the demon couldn't identify themselves by name, so you couldn't cast them out. So it was said only Messiah would be able to cast out a demon from a man who was mute. And, and uh, so it says in, in verse 22, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. So on top of being mute, he was also blind. I mean, this is, there's a lot of things wrong with this person. They're blind and they're mute. They were brought to Jesus and he healed them so that the mute man spoke and saw. So on top of being able to speak again, he also saw and his demons were cast out. This was huge. But as was in the other things, they, they, they previously when Jesus would cast out demons and we, it's recorded what the people said, what they said is, by what authority does Jesus do that? That is not what is said here. It doesn't say that. What is said here is, all the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? Because they themselves had been taught by the Pharisees, by their rabbis, that only Messiah would be able to cast out a demon from one who was mute. So the question here is, is this the son of David? Son of David means Messiah. This is, this is another name for the Messiah, the son of David. That's why this question comes. You see, this question is totally different than all the other questions they were asking previously. Could this be the son of David? And so now the rulers are going to have to make a decision. Either they're going to have to say, yes, according to all that we've taught you, this has got to be the son of David. Or, the second choice is, they deny that it's the son of David, deny that it's the Messiah. 
They can't deny the works. In the New Testament, you never find the Pharisees, you never find the rabbis, you never find the scribes denying the works that Jesus did. There were too many witnesses. They couldn't say, he didn't really do that. No, he did do that. He healed these people. There were too many witnesses for this. Nor in the Talmudic writings do you ever find them denying that Jesus did all of these works. Why? Because there were too many witnesses to this. They couldn't have denied it. So now what they've got to do, they've got to find out some other way by which he could have done this. So they come up with a real doozy here. They say, well, he himself was able to do this because he's filled with Beelzebul, which is the king of the demons. That's why he could cast out that demon. You see, that's, to- that's antithetical to what they had totally taught. And they, they, they mentioned this Beelzebul, In some translations, you will read Beelzebub. Beelzebub, or in Hebrew, Beelzebub. And the reason is, Beelzebul is the real name. It was a a god of the Ekronites, from Ekron. Had a god named Beelzebul, meaning king, lord of uh, of the palace. Lord of the royal palace. That was the name of their god. Israel used to worship, the nation of Israel used to worship lots of, of idols. But never after the Babylonian, uh, uh, after they went to Babylon as a penalty for their sins, after they went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, once they came back, they never again to this day have never worshipped an idol. Never, never, never worshipped idols. The nation of Israel never has worshipped idols since that Babylonian captivity. They used to do it a lot. But after the 70 years in Babylon, they came back and they said, we really blew it. And we blew it because we were worshipping idols. And they put in place so many safeguards, you can't get near an idol in Judaism. No worshipping idols. In fact, they're a lot more sensitive to idols than are Christians. A lot more sensitive to staying free of idols than are Christians. And, and, and so, so different symbols that Christians and different Christian denominations would set up, Jews would never go near those sort of things. In fact... If the Messianic Jews, the Jews who had known the Lord, the Jews who had known Jesus to be Messiah, had not separated from the early church in in around 200 A.D., had not been excluded from the early church by having to conform to Easter rather than Passover, by having to conform to certain rules, had they not, then the early church probably never would have gotten involved in so much idolatry. Because the Jews had been so sensitive, they would have kept them from that. So, so w- what happened was, when they were broken of this idolatry, they used to make fun of other people's wooden gods and stone gods. And instead of calling him Beelzebul, they changed the words to Beelzebub. You change a couple of letters and you get a totally different meaning. Just like in English, you can have a word that has a nice meaning. You change one letter and it has a not-so-nice meaning, a derogatory meaning, meaning... Americans were not the first to figure that out, that you could do that type of thing. So in in all languages you have that. In fact, Isaiah, who is a master, the prophet Isaiah, who is a master in the written language of Hebrew, there's one king whose name is good, and he wasn't a very good guy, and, and Isaiah inverts one letter, 
and it means good for nothing. And that's how Isaiah used to refer to him. But to those who understand the Hebrew, they can see that and they appreciate it and they get a chuckle out of that because you see how the man is writing. And, and we lose that context totally. But here, Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Dung Flies. So in other words, it's a very derogatory term to be saying, there is your God. Oh yeah, your God is Beelzebub, right? No, no, no. Beelzebub. Oh, okay. Beelzebub. Beelzebub, right? You, you, you see what I mean? This is what they were doing. So, so that's why you often see these two terms inverted there. But in any, and in any case, that's what they do. They said, well, he's able to do this because by Beelzebub. Because he's filled with Beelzebub, the, just the ruler of all the demons. That's why he's able to do this. So it was, it was totally antithetical to what they themselves had taught. And this results, Jesus said, this, first of all, he gives a defense for himself. He says, it cannot be. In verse 25, he says, if any kingdom is divided against itself, it's laid waste. It can't stand. Satan cannot cast out Satan. He says, if I'm doing it by Beelzebul, how do your sons cast them out? Your sons cast out demons all the time. This, is, this exorcism is part of your, your, your faith. How do you cast them out? He says, if I have cast out these demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says that, that, that uh, unless I had bound Satan, I never could have done this. Unless you bind a strong man, you can't carry off his possessions. And then he proclaims upon them the unpardonable sin. Let me tell you what the unpardonable sin is. The unpardonable sin is the national, not individual, the national rejection of Jesus as Messiah while he was physically present with them under the pretense that he was demon-possessed. It is the national rejection of the Messiah while he was present with them, with the accusation that he was demon-possessed. That led to the unpardonable sin. The, the unpardonable sin is not something, absolutely not something that could be committed today. It is not something that could be committed today. It's not something that, that, that we have the ability to do. It is not an individual sin. We are told repeatedly throughout the Scriptures that no matter what our sin we can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus, no matter what our sin. It's not what you think is a sin and what you don't think is sin. And some people will say, well, that, that they can't be forgiven of. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, that is unpardonable. Well, not in Christianity it's not. Maybe in your own mind it's unpardonable. But not in Christianity, not by the blood of Jesus it's not unpardonable. And I would never, God help me from ever proclaiming unpardonable sin. Upon anyone. Jesus died for them all. It wasn't one more than for another. Individuals from that day were saved out of this. So the judgment that was going to come was going to come in 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem. That was the unpardonable sin, and we'll see that. He proclaims that over them. But it is not an individual sin. The second thing is, it is unique to that Jewish generation. It is not all Jewish generations. We will see throughout the rest of this chapter 12, Jesus again and again is going to say, this generation, this generation, this generation, those people in that day, no other Jewish nation had Jesus physically standing before them, present with Him, saying, I am the Messiah, here's the works that prove it. 
And no other generation had him physically present and say, you are possessed by a demon and that's how you can do it. You're not the Messiah. It was to that generation and that generation only. It was not to all Jewish generations. No other nation can can commit this because Jesus has never physically been presented to any other nation as their Messiah. So it's not that another nation can come under the unpardonable sin. And the offer of the Messianic kingdom in their generation has now been rescinded. Had they received him, he would have set up the Messianic kingdom in their generation. He would have overcome Rome. People say that people didn't receive him because he didn't overcome Rome. Not true. Had they received him, he would have overcome Rome. They didn't receive him because they denied his works, though he did the very things they said that Messiah would do, and then they said he was demon-possessed. And, and Jesus will offer the kingdom again, as we will read in Matthew 24 and 25, into the, the Great Tribulation generation. He will then offer it again, and then it will be accepted by Israel. But in, in, uh, they lost it to that generation, and it was something they could never get back, even if they had repented. But this is not the first time a judgment on Israel has come that could not be rescinded. This could not be rescinded. No matter what they did, even if they had repented, it would not have stopped the AD 70 judgment. might have delayed it by a few years, but it wouldn't have stopped it. Could not have stopped it. This is the third judgment that came upon Israel that didn't matter what they did, it couldn't be rescinded. The first one was at Kadesh Barnea. Moses, they, 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 came out of, uh, they came out of Egypt. Moses had these, these 600,000 people with him. Comes out of Egypt. In about 40 days, they get to Kadesh Barnea. Not 40 years, about 40 days, they get to Kadesh Barnea. Not long, about a month, they get to Kadesh Barnea. It's not that far of a walk. It doesn't take 40 years to get from Egypt to Israel. Easily, easily. In, in, in a month you could do this. In a matter of a week you could easily do this. So he, he walks, they, walk, they get to Kadesh Barnea, which is this, this uh, uh, um, it's, it's sort of like a resort. I mean, it, 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 was, it had water, it was a nice place. And then from there, Moses sent 12 spies in. Ten of them come back and they say, well, they all came back. They said, definitely the land is exactly what God said it is. It is a man, land flowing of milk and honey. It is a productive land. Ten of them, though, said that the people there are too big, they're too strong, we could never, we could never take that land. Can't do it. Two of them, uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, we can do it. It'd be fine. We can do it. There was such a rebellion in that day against Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb for taking a stand saying, no, we have to take this land. We can possess it. There was such a rebellion on that day that Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Aaron almost died. And then God had to intercede to keep the crowds back from them. And then he proclaimed the judgment on them. He said, because you saw it was exactly what I said it was, but you refused to enter it. I'm proclaiming judgment on this nation where every one of you who's 20 years old and upward, that's where defined adulthood, 20 years old and upward, every one of you 20 years old and upward will die before you ever get into this land. You will now wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Everyone 20 years old and upward will die. All of you 19 and below, that you don't have to die, you could enter the land. But you'll be, you'll be uh, you know, you might be almost 60 years old next time you, you come to this spot and try to enter this, enter this land again. So he has to march around. It says in Numbers 13 and 14 that the people repented. They heard God. They repented. 
And they, and in fact, even a small group of them tried to go in and they got all beat up. You can't, it didn't matter that they repented. Their sins were forgiven. The sin was forgiven. You repent, the sin's forgiven. However, the judgment stands for 40 years. And all the people died. That was the first time. There was another one. Manasseh, King Manasseh, was the wick, most wicked, most evil king in Second Chronicles chapter 33. You can read about King Manasseh. King Manasseh had blood flowing through the streets of Jerusalem, turned the temple into a, 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 a turned the temple that, that Solomon had built into a temple where there were idols and prostitutes. God proclaimed judgment on Israel, uh, judgment, and He said that they would be taken into captivity for seventy years. It says Manasseh repented. Manasseh confessed the Lord, gave his heart to the Lord. And it says God forgave him. But guess what? It didn't stop the judgment that God proclaimed. It couldn't be rescinded. Manasseh spoke, Manasseh repented, and his son Amnon and then Josiah, the good King Josiah, just redid everything. Rebuilt everything. And God said, I'll delay it because of good Josiah. I won't bring about the judgment in his day. And as soon as Josiah died, I mean, it just went to pot again, and boom, they went into captivity for 70 years. Couldn't be rescinded. This is the third time. Couldn't be rescinded. The judgment came. Couldn't be rescinded as a result of this, uh, this word that, that, that came forth. So this is what happened. And, and, and this is what Jesus spoke. He spoke these very words. And you see now a huge change in his ministry. There are different things that are going to happen because of this change, because of this denial. And, and uh, uh, you say, well, there, there's many people that, that didn't say this. The rulers said this. They did. And, and Israel, from that time, we read many times in the Old Testament how, how when there was a good king, Israel followed the Lord. Israel would follow the Lord when there was a good king. And then as soon as a bad king came, they'd do bad, just like the king. And the good king came. They, there's this leadership complex that had always been in Israel and remains to this day. If you are in the habit of sharing the Lord with Jewish people, as a Messianic believer, you share the Lord with Jewish people and talk of Him of being the Messiah, you will always get this question eventually. If Jesus is really the Messiah, why don't the rabbis believe it? We will do what the rabbis tell us. There is this complex that we will do. And so you say, well, these people saw it. Why didn't they do this? It was this complex with leadership. If leadership denied it, they were going to deny it. It was in that day. It is today. It was back in the Old Testament. Constantly happened. This same sort of thing happened again and again. You are going to see a new ministry. Jesus is going to make a few defenses for himself through this chapter. And then we will see a total change. Jesus will have a ministry of silence where He won't be speaking to them anymore. He will have a ministry where, where his, 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 his whole healings now change as a result. Formerly, He was healing people indiscriminately. They didn't have to have faith. He didn't even ask them, do you have faith? He just healed them. If He saw they had faith, it was great. He healed them. But if they didn't have faith, it didn't matter. People say, I don't even know who it was who healed me. This is guy, Jesus. I didn't even know who he was. They had no faith. And he healed them. Because it was a testimony of his Messiahship. He did works to proclaim his Messiahship. Now we're going to see there's going to be a change. No more of that. He will only do healings based on faith. Healings must be preceded by faith. He's going to stop teaching openly. 
He's only going to speak by parables. And the disciples are going to get off guard and will begin to read this. And they'll say, why, why, what's with all the parables? What's, what's going on? Is it? And Jesus said, because it's for you to understand and not for them. It was sort of a code. He was teaching and instructing. And now his instruction and his healings are, all, all, are for the preparation of the twelve. The preparation of the apostles. The preparation of his twelve disciples. He is going to do healings to demonstrate to them how this is done. And his teachings are for them. This was a huge change in Jesus' ministry that is changing right at this point. When they denied that he was the, the, uh, that, that he was the uh, Messiah, and when they said that he was only able to do this because he's filled with the king of all the demons, Beelzebub. He said, okay, that's it. The ministry now changes. It had been offered to you. The offer is now rescinded to this generation, and it won't come again. And this, Jesus had spoken of the division. He said, if a nation stands against itself, a kingdom stands against itself, it cannot stand. In 70 AD, when they were overrun in Jerusalem, that was a nation divided against itself. The very things that he was teaching them were going to be the predecessor of the things to come. And, and what we'll see is that there were, there were a group of Messianic Jews, believing Jews in Jerusalem, and they were willing to fight against the Romans. And then, and then uh, 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 there was a group within Jerusalem that said no, and they lifted up a man and said, this man is our Messiah, not Jesus. And the Messianic Jews said, we can't go for that. The siege lifted from Jerusalem. It started in 68, in, in, in uh, 68 AD. It lifted for a period of a, a short time period, and that's when the disciples living in Jerusalem realized the words of Jesus when he had said, when you see the army surrounding about Jerusalem, go and hide in the hills. And they left. The Messianic Jews left when that siege lifted, and they went across the Jordan, and then the siege immediately came back, and the non-Messianic Jews in Jerusalem, every one of them were destroyed. This is what we're going to look at. All of that, was predicted on this day because of these things that took place. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, for what you put before us. Father, I thank you because your word is true. And what Jesus demonstrated was good and right. And what he proclaimed were the words from God. Father, thank you for your mercies that we can look back on this. And we can see that everything that Jesus did, every, everything that Jesus did is a result of the things that the people said. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, how good your word is. And we praise your name for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.